Hi, and welcome back to the fourth episode of the Pathfinders podcast. I hope you've all enjoyed listening to the previous episodes so far with three huge creatives. Before we get into today's episode, I just wanted to tell you that we've just released some new prints that are available to order on our website. These video game prints by illustrator Jake Gunn are linked to our upcoming magazine and hide a lot of references from classic video game titles within it. Be sure to head over to our website on 99percentlifestyle.com to take a look and find out more. Today's episode features an interview with designer and entrepreneur Frankie Ratford. Frankie is an Australian designer and entrepreneur who runs The Design Kids, a company she founded which bridges the gap between studying and working within the graphic design industry. She started The Design Kids in 2009 and launched with a market store in the front yard with some mates and just a DJ stall. The Design Kids is now a global online resource for thousands of students and graduate graphic designers with many local offline communities around the world too. Their aim is to educate, inspire and connect young people to the design industry. Today's episode will look more at Frankie's story and how she started the Design Kids whilst balancing multiple day jobs. I hope you all enjoy listening to today's episode. Just to get things started, Abe, are you able to give people a quick introduction, just say who you are and tell me a little bit about yourself? Okay, hi, my name is Frankie. Uh, Ratford. I live in Australia and I run a company called The Design Kids, which bridges a gap between studying and working within the graphic design industry. And could you tell me a bit about how you uh, got involved into the world of design? Is that from education or something after education? Well, I actually, um, if you're being English, um, I studied graphic design, I think in when I was about 14 and totally fell in love with it. And it was my goal to be a graphic designer. And I also went to Australia on holiday the same year. And I decided I wanted to be an Australian graphic designer. Um, so, yeah, it was really good just to have that really key goal super early on. I think a lot of people struggle with things that just not knowing what they want to do. And um, are you able to tell me a bit about, um, I suppose, your journey up until when you started the design kits? Are you able to tell me a bit more about what you was up to in between that, that period? Sure. Um, so, yes, yeah, so I studied in England. And then when I was 18, I bought a one-way ticket to Australia. Um, and I traveled originally, I had a spot in an English university, but deferred for a year. So I, cause I just really, really, really wanted to go to Australia and I didn't know how to apply, um, to go to uni. It was very hard, um, back in 2001. Um, and so, yeah, so I got into an English uni, deferred a year, went traveling around Australia. And while I was traveling, I got in um, to an Australian design course. So I moved over, um, properly when I was 19 and started studying design for four years and while I was studying I, I went to a conference and I saw um, a guy called Vince Frost speak and I just totally fell in love with him I thought he was the greatest thing ever and I was like I really want to work for this guy he's like absolutely amazing and when I graduated I managed to get a job there which was really really exciting so I was 24 so it was exactly 10 years after I set the dream so I was working at one of the best design studios in Australia as a graphic designer and I was like, yes, awesome, made it. Um, and then I realized that I was massively unhappy. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I think I climbed the wrong mountain. <laughs> and I was like, shit, now what do I do? Um, and that was a bit of a shock for me. Um, you know, just I had kind of a quarter life crisis. I was like, what am I doing with my life? I don't want this. Like, it just felt like it didn't fit me. It was like everything I wanted, but a really bad fit. Um, and like, I remember, I just, I hated the routine 
Um, I'm not a routine person. My parents are very self-employed. We used to go camping and jump in the car whenever we wanted. And, you know, there was no sense of like, you know, a corporate job. Um, I remember going on holiday once with another family and um, her dad couldn't come. And I said, where's your dad? And she's like, oh, he has to work. He doesn't have any holiday left. And I was like, I didn't even know what that sentence meant. So I was like, what do you mean? And she's like, you know, you get four weeks a year. And I'm like, four weeks? Like, what is that? Um, and because I just, I was so unaware of this, this was a thing in life. And so, um, yeah, basically it was a bit of a shock for me to work full time for someone. Um, it's not a laziness thing. I work really hard, but I work hard in my own way, um, on my own hours. And I just found working nine till five or seven till midnight very hard. Um, and I remember getting the bus into work one day. I was really, um, I think I went to the dentist or I had a doctor's appointment or something. And, um, the bus at like eight 30 every day was so packed. It went from Bondi beach to Surrey Hills, same people every day, lots of hipsters, lots of black rim glasses, lots of beards. Um, and yeah, I went in this one day, like an hour later and, um, there was no one on the bus and I like skipped up the bus and I just felt this like crazy sense of joy. And I was just, I almost just wanted to scream. I was so happy. And I was like, why do I feel like this? Like, I didn't even know what it was at the time, but looking back, it totally makes sense. It was just the freedom to break out of that, um, routine. Mm. So yeah. And so basically I quit. So I was there for 18 months. Um, I love Vince. I still do. I love Frost. I just, it was just a really bad fit for me. Um, and so I quit in the middle of the recession and just was like, now what the hell am I going to do? And, you know, people didn't have jobs and I was quitting one of the best jobs you could get at the time. Um, but I just had to follow my heart. I was like dying inside and I just, yeah, I was like, I'd rather just see what happens so yeah I quit I went traveling for six months the idea was to do anything but design I was like I must be good at something else I'd never even looked at anything else it was always just design for me um and yes yeah, so I went traveling for six months I went to um date New York the day Michael Jackson died um I went to like great picking in the south of France I went hiking across Reunion Island um in the Indian Ocean I went uh, to Madagascar with my brother and I had this amazing moment um in Madagascar we were hanging out with a guide called Amani well his real name was um Giorgio but we called him Amani because they have lots of fake clothes over there <laughs> and um Amani says to Joe and I what do you do and Joe says I'm a teacher and I said I'm a graphic designer um and he didn't know what that was so I normally just try and find something with words on it and point at it and I was drinking a bottle of water and I said oh we designed the label and he was like why <laughs> like uh, yeah that's a really good point like you guys don't have any water and I'm looking at the kerning like on the label like I'm such a dick I was like I just come from Surrey Hills I've got my latte in one phone uh, one hand and my iPhone in the other hand and you know I think I'm so cool and then I go to Madagascar and you give like these kids a hairband and they're just like mind blown like they're so grateful they literally have nothing and they're so happy like they don't have an Xbox or like fucking I don't know surfboard or anything they've just like they've got absolutely nothing and they're just so happy and carefree and beautiful and it was just such a eye-opening experience for me um mm. and so yeah so I came back to Australia and I was like right I want to help people I want to make a difference but designers are my people so instead of being a designer I was like I can help other designers so that brings us to November 2009. Okay, and just before I ask about a bit more about the design kids, was you um, 
going back to when you just left your job did you find that quite a scary thing to do because there will be a lot of people out there that perhaps don't love their job and kind of have that same feeling you did but are too scared to take that leap not knowing what to do once they have left you know what I'm the worst person to ask that question to because I actually just don't care um I think because I traveled for two years and you know I had five jobs simultaneously twice in my life and so I my thing is like if I don't have enough money I'll get another job I've had three jobs like simultaneously 10 times like I just whatever I need I just kind of make that happen so for me like I'm really good at waitressing I love waitressing so much I love talking to people I love problem solving and um that was always a fallback for me so I never kind of felt worried I think when you go traveling and you have to survive and you rock up in the most random place and you have to get a job um you know I've turned up to like 25 cities and started from zero and like had to you know earn money or find friends or whatever and I think that makes you really resilient and I just wasn't scared I was more unhappy than I was scared and when that balance is the right way around then you kind of have to jump (laughs) because you can't stay where you are um so yeah I'm not the best person to ask of that because like job security to me doesn't mean anything like it doesn't bother me at all to be unemployed um Mm. to have no money in my bank account bothers me but I always I'm really good at saving um I always have a safety net that's like something I'm really really good at um but not having a job doesn't bother me at all okay I find that really interesting and something you said as well is that you like the idea of working for yourself did you uh attempt to start any other businesses or um, anything like that before the design kids? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, No, I don't think so. Um, But I'd always worked for so many people. Like, I'm not scared of getting my hands dirty. Like, I've given so many talks where, you know, I'm there an hour early and I'm putting out the chairs and then people are turning up and I'm saying, hi, da da And then the talk sucks and I jump on the stage and start talking. And they're like, Frankie, you're not meant to put out the chairs. And I'm like, I don't care. Like, I, there's no division for me. Like, I'm happy to help wherever I can. Um, so, yeah. But it's weird. No, I haven't. I've never started another business. So... Mm. But I just got off the phone to my accountant two minutes before you called um, about launching another company, which we'll talk about later. Um, okay. So, yeah, so, that'll be number two. Oh, wow. And um, you mentioned that you went on this uh, trip around the world where you was really exploring the world. At what stage did you realise, okay, this, is, this feels right now. I've got this idea to start the Design Kids. Can you tell me a bit about how that idea formed in your head? Um, yeah, so I was going no design, no design, no design. And uh, I ended up in London at a grad show. Um, I can't remember which grad show it was, but they had a little shop where the students could sell their work. Um, And I thought, oh my God, that's brilliant. Like, what if I go back to Australia and start a bigger shop? This was like before Society6 or anything like that, where students can sell their work and the industry will buy them because they're like cutting edge designers. And, um, and they'll get famous and they'll get rich and maybe they'll get hired. And I had this really like grand plan. Um, so yeah, so I went back to Australia um, a month later and I spent an hour on the business name. Um, so the two options, I had loads of options, but they were rubbish. Um, but the two options were aesthetically minded people 
and the design kids. And I went with the design kids because I like the idea that like emerging talent with younger. Um, and I love if I see anything with the word design in it, I'll look into it. So if it's a book or a TV show or a, I don't know, like whatever, the word design really turns me on. So like if I see the word design, it kind of sets the tone. So um, I wanted the word design or typography in my title. So yeah, so I went with the design kids. Then I spent an hour on the logo. Again, I didn't want to spend much time on this because I think designers, we can like get bogged down in perfection and not do anything. And my whole thing was just to start, just to launch something. Um, so yeah, registered the name, got the logo and off I went, mm. <laughs> which sounds amazing, but like nothing happened. <laughs> I was going to ask how, what happened after that? How did you kind of get it off the ground and how long did that take? Oh my God. Um, so uh, I'm just trying to think what order things happen in. So basically I, I spoke to a lot of friends and um, and I was like, do you want to design a t-shirt or a poster or a tote bag? And, you know, I was buying like 10 tote bags at once and like screen printing them. And then I'd buy like a couple of rolls of tape and get them printed. And like, it was so small and shit. Um, but it was cute. I look back and I'm like, God, you're so cute. Like, look at you trying. It's so rubbish and it doesn't even matter. Um, and I had a garage sale in my front yard, which was like the launch party. And my flatmate was a DJ. So she's like, I can DJ. And I was like, yeah, this sounds so good. Um, in reality, it was so shit um, because it was like very confusing what it was. It looked like a garage sale. So it was like all these products. My friends came. There's like maybe 20 people there. There was a DJ. So it kind of looked like a house party. And then it was like this weird shop. So people didn't really know what it was. So they're just walking past. Um but we had a great time. We all had beers. My friends all bought something. Like some of them, one of them messaged me last week because she's like, where did you get that T-shirt printed? I've still got it. It's still going. Um, and so I just, I really owe so much to those guys, like for buying all my shitty things and just mm -hmm. supporting me. Because like sometimes you just need that little push and then you're like, cool, this is a thing. Um, so yeah, so I probably made zero dollars on that because I had to make everything. <laughs> so it wasn't a financial success, but it was the beginning. Um, so I started looking around for other jobs. So like I was saying before, um, it's just about an income thing. So I was like, I need to get an income from somewhere else. But I also wanted to teach myself how to do my own job um, because I didn't actually know how to make things and promote them or start a community or build. Like I just literally didn't know anything. Sorry, I'm just shutting the door. Um, and so it's a bit loud outside. Um, yeah, so I basically started getting jobs to teach me how to do my own job. So I got four other jobs. So one of them was working at a design market in Sydney and my job was to interview all the makers, which was amazing. Cause I like was a graphic designer and you had to pick paper samples and, um, you know, design a logo, but I didn't know how to get something made or like promote it or anything. So I got to ask all those guys all the questions and then it went on their blog and they had a huge readership, um, finders keepers. So that was really cool. And then I started, um, lecturing actually, I was lecturing at a university two nights a week and at a private school two days a week. And that was really good for the income, but also it was, it was like, kind of market research I got to ask the students every week what they were struggling with what they needed help with um, and I got to see firsthand what the gaps were basically mm. and how long was you doing these other jobs for alongside the design kids before it became your 
sole employment? Um, so I did other jobs for four years. So it was a long time. Mm. Um, and yeah, basically the teaching. So I did, I was in Sydney for an extra two years after Frost. And then I moved to Byron Bay. I retired when I was 27. Um, one second. Um, and yeah, so I moved to Byron Bay and I got a warehouse and I lived upstairs and I built a co-working space downstairs and I had a gallery and it was awesome. And then I started teaching in Brisbane, which is a three hour drive away, two wow. days a week to fund everything. And it was awesome because I started looking at what Design Kids was and like, what was I trying to do? And my whole premise was to bring a student and a creative director together and get them talking and so I started running these exhibitions and um yeah they were it was so awesome because I was earning enough money in two days that I could have five days off to do whatever I wanted <laughs> so it was like the opposite of everyone else <coughs> and um yeah it was it was awesome so I started running these exhibitions and it just kind of blew up and then I made a website around the exhibitions so because um, the students were like, oh, where are the cool studios in Brisbane? And I was like, just look at the exhibition poster and Google the studios. And then they didn't know, like, if one was editorial or another one was digital. And so then on the website, I started kind of profiling all the studios. So figuring out why, like, telling a bit of their story to introduce them to the students. And then that kind of blew up. And then we just kept working on the website and turning it into a resource. Mm -hmm. and um yeah the exhibitions were so successful like a lot of students got jobs from the exhibitions from the collaborations because we pick like the top 20 studio studios in each city and then um we'd open submissions for the student half and we'd get like 600 submissions um so if you pick the best 20 out of that they were really good and then i'd match them stylistically with the studios and then of course if it's a cultural fit a lot of them got hired so and some of them are still working there it's crazy Mm. I've seen it on LinkedIn. I'm like, whoa, like that person still works there. Like, I've, like I did that. That's insane. <laughs> so, yeah, that was really good. And when that started blowing up, we just kind of dropped the shop because I was like, you know what? No one needs a T-shirt, but everyone needs a job. So maybe I'll just stop um, concentrating on on the shop and start figuring out how can how we can double down on the other stuff. So, yeah, we did 16 exhibitions in four years. Uh, mm. no three years we had 740 people take part um it was crazy it was yeah it was insane was there any point up until that point where um i suppose there was a tough period where you kind of had it had perhaps second thoughts whether or not this was going to work or if this was perhaps the right thing to do or stuff did you have kind of any blips in the road as such um, I think the cool thing was I didn't put any pressure on it. So because I had four other jobs, um, <laughs> I was busy and I was like learning and it was very, it was all positive. So there was no financial pressure. There was no pressure at all, which was amazing because it was only fun. So it was like, let's run these exhibitions. We're not selling shirts. Let's build a website. But there was like, you know, no deadline for a website or like, you know, everything was just done on my terms. So 
at that point there was no stress which was great <laughs> mm. and I would actually I do tell people that if they're going to start something like get a job on the side where you can earn money for like two or three days because you don't want a full-time job because then there's no energy left for your other thing if you can get a job where you're earning the mo most amount of money in the shortest period of time then it frees up your time to do your business and actually your time mm -hmm. is much more precious than the money yeah yeah, um, yeah and your attention so that was yeah the first four years was great it was really easy so I was living in Byron driving to Brisbane every Wednesday morning so it's three hour drive and then I'd teach all day sleep in a hostel and then teach all Thursday or half of Thursday and then drive back to Byron and I was done for the week and it's just such a nice way of working because it was like just so efficient <laughs> where you could just earn really good money so I was when I moved to Byron it's like a little surf town in Australia and um, I worked out I could work 96 hours making coffee or I wow. could work 12 hours in Brisbane teaching for the wow. same amount of money and so a six-hour commute to me didn't was totally fine because mm -hmm. it did, actually didn't matter whereas most people yeah. would be like I'm not driving three hours and I was like it's relative income it's not income Mm, mm. <laughs> um so yeah so that was amazing um so yeah the first four years was pretty sweet but then the trouble kicks in okay <laughs> <laughs> you just wait my friend <laughs> um so yeah so after four years um I decided that I was going to drive around Australia because it was still only Australian for a really long time like anytime there was like any design news and it wasn't Australian I was like I don't want to know like I want to be my brand is Australian I just want to help Australians blah 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 um and so I decided I was going to drive around Australia and build the design kids build the community um, I would give talks at the universities I would interview creative directors I would run workshops and I would be doing these exhibitions and I would basically build this community from the ground up by actually physically going there okay. um and so that was really cool. I got a sponsor for, I think it was $10,000. So I thought I was like so rich. I was like, woohoo, um, <laughs> I never have to work again. That probably would have just covered petrol to be fair. But um, <laughs> I was just, it was like the most amount of money I'd ever heard of. And um, so, yeah, I, I was, you know, I was in my warehouse. I should rewind a little bit. And I was really bored because... I was too comfortable. I had like a massive space. I was earning good money. I was surfing. I was hanging out with my friends and I just wasn't pushing myself. And I actually just don't really like being comfortable. Um, I love the hustle and the learning and I'm addicted to that learning curve and it just flattened out. And I was like, nah, I need to change this up. So I started thinking about what the opposite of a um, warehouse would be. And I was like, the opposite would be a van um and like the smallest space possible so I sold everything I owned got rid of the okay. warehouse bought a van um got this ten thousand dollar sponsorship and I was like good to go and then a week before I was leaving um I got a call from the sponsor and they just got bought out by someone else and she said um oh I'm so sorry Frankie we can't um sponsor your trip anymore um but you've got other sponsors right and I was like yeah yeah it's totally fine like hung up the phone I was like oh my god <laughs> um because at the moment I was surviving off a teaching wage and we get paid really well during 
the term time, but at the holidays, you don't get paid at all. So I hadn't actually worked for like five months because um, the summer holidays over here are so long. It's like November, December, January, February, and then you go back at the beginning of March. Um, so I literally had like $60 in my bank account. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, this is a disaster. Um, I've got a van, $60. I told everyone I was driving around Australia. I'm homeless and I have a well-paid job in Brisbane. And I think at that point, like a lot of people would panic. Um, but yeah. I kind of like got off on it a little bit. <laughs> like I really, I love having a problem to solve. And I was like, this is a massive problem. My life has just imploded. <laughs> um, what am I going to do? And I was like, right. Um, okay, well, if I can drive to work, I can probably just fly to work. So I decided to do both. I'm a big fan of have your cake and eat it. Um, and I decided that I would do the road trip and I would keep my job and I would just fly to work each week and fund it myself. Um, so that's what I did for like a year. I flew to Brisbane every Wednesday morning and then I flew back Thursday night to wherever my van was and then kept driving. And, um, yeah, it was amazing. <laughs> it was like totally crazy. Like I was parking in the sketchiest places because like, <laughs> airport parking is very expensive. Um, and so I'd park near the airport, kind of like areas where you would dump a body, like that kind of vibe. Um, and I'd pull up there on a Tuesday night, like kill the engine, don't turn any lights on. And then I'd like climb over the seat into the back and I'd get changed in the dark, put all my clothes in a pile so I could find them, get into my bed set my alarm for like 3 a.m and then I'd the alarm would go off I'd get dressed like get out the van really quietly shut the door walk in the dark to the airport um, which normally involved running across highways because for some reason they don't design airports to walk into um, so I was like running across these highways at like three o'clock in the morning um, and then flying to Brisbane getting a train to the um the university, um, prep my class. And then by the time the class started at 10, I'd already been up for seven hours. So it was, um, yeah, it was pretty brutal. I was pretty tired. Um, my students used to call me cranky Frankie because <laughs> I was just like, shut up. Like you guys are so lazy and you know, they'd be like, Oh, we're tired. We need to get a coffee. And I'm like, don't even like, let's not talk about that. Um, and then yeah, sleep in a hostel and then the next day teach all day and then fly back to my van and then drive off. And it was really, um, it was really exhausting, but it was also so epic because I love travel and I love design and I love them pretty equally. And um, I'd never been able to do both. So when I was traveling for two years before uni, I really lacked purpose. And then when I was at uni for four years, I missed my freedom. And it was just this weird, like alternating where I could only have one at once. And that trip was just like, oh my God, I can actually have both. Um, and so I was really tired, but I was also really happy. So yeah, so I funded that whole year myself. Wow, that's that's crazy. <laughs> There's so much, so many questions I've got based based on what you just said. There's um, um, I'll get into more of the community stuff in a in a bit if that's okay, because I know that's something that um I want to explore. But I find it um amazing how you was able to um sustain that lifestyle and also build up a business in in kind of that scenario you was in so your mindset must have been very positive and very driven and it shows that 
you kind of are capable of doing a lot when you set your mind to something and you have the drive to do so from that story you just said uh, this question actually comes up a lot like where do I get my energy from and like so I'm a big fan of the four-hour work week Tim Ferriss and it's mm. less about working for four hours and more about lifestyle design and what you actually want to do so when I designed my life I designed it based on things I'm good at so I'm really good at remembering people's names I love humans I love parallel parking <laughs> I love <laughs> um, design I love talking I love being enthusiastic about people I love nurturing people and I just design my life around the things I'm good at so naturally you have a lot of energy because you're excited about it. So there's nothing on that list that I, uh, that I suck at or I find hard. So like that really is such an easy motivator because it's like, it's all fun. I mean, it's not all fun, but it's like on the surface, it's pretty good because you've made that decision of what that looks like. And I mean, mm -hmm. if it sucked, then I'd be a pretty bad designer because I designed it badly. So... <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of that drive actually just comes from doing things I like and being able to get out of bed every day and, and like, and love my mm -hmm. life. Yeah. Yeah. And I also think it comes back to what you mentioned earlier about having that, um, the whole job, job aspect of, uh, you not worried about being unemployed and really being able to not kind of fall into, yeah, that security of worrying about the finances too much, if that makes sense. Um, where a lot of people think would in that scenario where, say, for instance, the sponsor's just gone and, yeah, <laughs> I think most people would have stuck by and just stuck to the, the teaching job rather than travelling around the world. <laughs> I think because, I mean, the other thing I do really well is I talk, I tell everyone what I'm doing. Um, and so that actually brings huge accountability with it where people are like, aren't you doing that trip around Australia? And you're like, oh, yeah, I didn't do it. Um, I will never say that. <laughs> I'm the person that does it. Like people will say, I'll meet some random on a plane and they'll be like, I live in Estonia. Come and stay with me. I'm like, oh, I will. Like, I'll be there. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, no, no. I'm the person that shows up. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think accountability is huge because if you just keep everything to yourself, like you have no accountability. Um, and so you just don't do it. Whereas I think a lot of my stuff is like peer pressure because I told everyone I was going to do it and I have a big mouth. So it's like, and then I actually have to go and do it. Otherwise I look like an idiot. Mm. So I but like making myself like fall in these traps because it actually motivates me to get stuff done. No, I find that really fascinating. I find it quite inspiring myself, actually. Um, with, with the with the whole community aspect around the design kits as well, where you was going to these new places and kind of starting from zero and building them up, did you have kind of um, a plan that you applied for every time you did that? Because I know you said you did workshops, talks, but did you kind of follow a certain structure every time and it seemed to work or was it very much a case of you just tried different things in different cities? um I'm just trying to think because at that point it was just me so I was that was one of the struggles actually was so let's say I was in Sydney um so I'd just been in Brisbane for a month and I was going to Melbourne the following month but I was in Sydney that month so in Sydney it was like past present future so the past stuff, so Brisbane, the exhibition had launched and was running that month. So I was like promoting that. In Sydney, I was doing 
the present stuff. So I was going to the meetings with the studios and the schools, giving talks, being really present. And they were working on the exhibition, but it hadn't launched yet. And then in Brisbane, we were, uh, sorry, in Melbourne, we were doing the call out for the exhibition. So you're actually always in three places at once. So when I moved to Melbourne, then I was doing the call out in Adelaide, the present stuff in Melbourne and launching the Sydney exhibition. So you're always kind of doing three cities at once. So I had a bit of a structure like how to do that. But yeah, it's definitely been refined over the years. So would you say that the success of the design kids had, it, it, it kind of comes because from, of yeah, because of that global community oh, that you went for? Yeah, 100%. Because, um, you know, communities are humans. Like there's, I think the word community gets thrown around a lot now. And, you know, every startup, it's like build your community, build your tribe, sell to them, blah, blah, blah. And for me, for a long time, like I just like humans. I was doing it because I wanted to do it, not because I thought it was a good business decision. And I actually care about them. And it's like, you know, I know where this creative director started out. I know what their dog is called. I know their kid's name. I know where their intern studied. And I like they're real people. And I know all this information about them. And it's like, I actually care. And for me, that is a community. It's like a network of people that care about each other. Um, whereas I think when you build communities online, like it's just a username, it's just mm. a profile picture. That's not a community to me. That doesn't feel real. It's just a collection of random people. There's no support or love or, um, any bonding whatsoever. So for me to do it in person is like super, super important to our brand. Mm. Yeah. I find that really interesting. That's actually something I would like to do with perhaps the next issue of the magazine and perhaps do more of like a launch event type with it for the issue to kind of, yeah get it into more the physical world yeah because <laughs> i always find it and good like to get, get out there i love it too like i get that's why i do my job i love these humans i love seeing mm. them it's like that's the best part of my day mm. yeah yeah i totally get that because that's kind of because this magazine is just kind of me doing the interviews as well it's born from kind of me having a fascination with learning from other people i guess and that's kind of just a translated product the magazine is so i can relate to yeah. a lot of that um, yeah. and, and in terms of the community aspect to what the design kids is about, I saw on the website that you, um, you talked about how, uh, students should actually become part of a community before they look for the job and be, become part of a creative community. Can you talk more about that and why that is important? Yeah. So, um, I think, you know, students will come up to me and they say, oh, I emailed a hundred studios. No one replied. I can't get a job this sucks and it's like they don't owe you anything like they're all running a business um their pri priority is not to entertain you in the nicest way um but if you know people then they have a responsibility to you they like you they like want to help you out so for me it's like crazy that students like i'll say to them where do you want to work and they go i don't mind and you're like, what do you mean you don't mind? You need to make this decision um, and like be a lot more specific about what you're looking for um, because then they know it's a good fit as well. It's not just a generic fit. But also you need to know like who you need to know and like where you need to be and, and what networks and communities you need to be part of. If you're just kind of sitting at home emailing people, you're not going to get very far. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, it's like so important for the students. I love it actually, because I do workshops to like at universities and mostly it's third year students that are about to finish, but ideally it would be first years 
And so I'm like, guys, this is how you use university for the next three years. So when you finish, you're sorted. Like, that's what they should be doing. And it's crazy mm -hmm. that it's like a week before the end. And it's like, guys, you need to do a resume. And they're like, what? And they've got nothing to put on their resume because they didn't know they had to do it. And it's just this weird knowledge gap that I literally see everywhere. So one of the questions I did want to ask you, especially from the education background that you have in lecturing, what would you say is the worst piece of advice you hear people giving to giving to other people or design students? Oh, this is so easy. Um, put everything in your portfolio. So um, show that you can be an illustrator, you can build apps, you can code, you can do branding, you like editorial um show you can do it all because then you'll get a job and it's like are you joking <laughs> like that's literally the worst thing you could do my friend runs a packaging studio in sydney called the creative method and he said you know we get um folios all the time and there's no packaging in their folios and they say why do you want to work here and they're like oh i love what you do and it's like do you like you just want a job um mm. whereas he said you know if someone walked in the door and just said i love packaging and didn't even have a folio he's like I would rather hire that person because at least they're passionate about it so for a studio trying to hire they need to see some alignment in your folio with what they do and their studio has some kind of niche it might be the type of work they do it might be the type of clients they have it might be the industry it might be the location whatever if you can align with that then you've got like a 90 percent more chance of getting a job with them because they can see you in their environment if you walk in with a shit show of a folio that shows like a million different things that are like 70% good then they're not going to hire you because everyone has the same portfolio it's crazy yeah. like I just think that's the absolute worst thing they could do is show everything they can do I hope you all enjoyed listening to today's episode with Frankie Ratford. This podcast is now available on YouTube and all major podcast platforms, so make sure to give us a follow or subscribe to be notified of all new episodes coming out in the future. If you would like to follow us on social media, then all the links can be found on the 99% Lifestyle website or in the description of this episode. At the end of each interview I conduct, I ask interviewees to give me five recommendations for our audience. This can be from books you should read, musicians you haven't heard of before, to other podcasts to listen to and documentaries you need to watch. These recommendations are sent out as a free newsletter each and every week to the 99% Lifestyle newsletter subscribers. The newsletter is called Creative Recommendations and all our issues are archived on our website too. If you would like to read Frankie's recommendations then head over to the 99% Lifestyle website, head to the newsletter page and then click on issue number 134. If you sign up to our newsletter, then you will also be updated about new podcast episodes, blog posts, and various product releases from our print magazines to our new video game prints in collaboration with illustrator Jay Gunn. Thank you again for listening to today's episode. We'll be back very soon.